Uh, yeah, I want to continue uh, from last week, guys. I want to follow up on a topic um, that really ties into something that we talked about last week. Uh, if you happen to recall, or if you don't recall, or if you haven't got a chance to listen to that sermon, uh, we started by taking a look at something that I'm calling our, our Methodist DNA. Basically, over the next several months ago, what I want to do is I want to give you a series of sermons uh, just from time to time, and I know I'm doing this one back to back. That, that generally is not going to be the case for the most part, but I wanted to tie these two Sundays together. Uh, but I want to give you a series of sermons on our Methodist tradition. Uh, in, in particular, I want to talk to you guys about some Methodist distinctives. In other words, some things about our particular tradition that are either very distinctive to our Methodist history or those things that are, are highly emphasized within our tradition, or maybe both. Some of these may cross over a little bit. Some of these things will be theological in nature. Some of them will be you know, more practical in nature, how we, how we live out, how we carry out our faith. Last week was all about mission. Um, so it, it was kind of, a, kind of both. You know, what, what's our theology behind why we do what we do, and then how do we carry that out type of thing. Um, we've always been a missional people. Uh, people who understand that, who understand and who understood that Jesus has given the church a very specific mission to carry out into the world. And we, we took a look at that in, the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew and some scripture. The last recorded words in the Gospel of Matthew, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Again, the final words of, of Christ that were recorded in, in, uh, in Matthew. And it was our early Methodist leaders and, our, and their subsequent followers took that command, took that directive, took that mission very, very, very seriously. It was the foundation. It was the backbone of the entire movement, the entire Methodist movement. And we continue to have this drive. We continue to have this thirst for being on mission today. I reminded you guys that even now, in 2023, almost 300 years later since the start of Methodism, that being or making to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world remains the actual written mission statement of the United Methodist Church. It was our starting point. It was their starting point from the early Methodist societies, the early Methodist movement. And, uh, and that movement, like I told you guys last week, that movement grew like absolute crazy uh, in numbers and in such a very, very short amount of time. You may, you may kind of recollect back to the book of Acts, the early Christian church, how quickly that movement, and y'all notice that I keep calling it a movement because that's what Christianity really is, or at least it should be. Um, but that early church in Acts, you see that they, they just grew like nuts. Um, in, in, a short, in a short period of time. And that's what you got in these, with these early Methodist folks. But I also pointed out something um, very important to you guys. And that was that word, disciples. Go and make disciples. I pointed out to you guys that Jesus did not say go and make believers. He said to go and make disciples. And once we understand the difference between those two things, it will absolutely change everything. The modern church has done a pretty good, pretty fair job of making believers. Everybody's in South Georgia is a believer, right? Right? Yeah. Everybody in South Georgia is a believer. So we've done a pretty fair job of making a bunch of believers. We've done a pretty fair job of getting people saved. We've done a really good job of making good, good citizens. But we have failed beyond measure to make authentic disciples. We have preached just enough Jesus to get folks into heaven without following through and becoming and making the Jesus, the thing, what 
Jesus called us to be, to make, and to become. A lot of believers, so few disciples. And yeah, as I pointed out last week, you can be a believer and not be a disciple. That's pretty easy to do. It's a little bit more difficult to be a follower and not be a believer. Because being a disciple is not easy. It's not easy. And I'll give you that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'll never say it's easy. It's not. Because in order to be a disciple, we've got to take Jesus seriously. In order to be a real follower, we have to take seriously the words and the commandments of Jesus. Remember that scripture that I just quoted to you out of Matthew. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commandments that I've taught you. So we've got to take that stuff seriously. We have to take seriously the fact that, yeah, Jesus really does want us to practice infinite forgiveness. He even wants us to forgive those who hurt and those who harm us. We have to take seriously the fact that Jesus calls us to sold-out service to other people. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. With the exact words of Christ, he didn't use that word slave offhandedly. It's a pretty good comparison. That's how seriously it is, how serious he was about us serving others. We have to take seriously the fact that we are to love, to pray, and to take action for the good of our enemies. To be a disciple, we have to take seriously the fact that Jesus tells us that the ones who are truly blessed in this lifetime are the meek, the merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and the persecuted. All of those things which absolutely fly in the face of what our culture values. What we value as individuals, really. Remember that Christ said, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. That's what he was talking about. He also said only a few people find it. For a Christian, for a disciple, to receive life, to walk, and to live in the kingdom of God now, now. Remember the kingdom of God. We're not talking about the afterlife. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the here and now. Jesus initiated the kingdom of God on earth when he came to earth. So it's something we're in right now. It's something we get to experience right now. So for us to walk and to live in that kingdom means to completely abandon ourselves walk in the mind, in the heart, in the ways of Jesus. Like I've, like I've said, you know, so many times since coming to Bemis to receive the life of Christ, the life that Christ offers, is to shed all hints of our ego, all selfishness, all self-seeking, all me-first mentalities, and to embrace the humble, compassionate, merciful, self-sacrificial, and self-giving ways of Jesus. Do y'all happen to remember what I told you? Christianity was called before we actually called it Christianity. You don't have to answer that out loud. I'll tell you again. Christianity in its early days by its early followers, and you find this in the book of Acts. I'm not making this up. It wasn't called Christianity. It was called the way. And that was something the early Christians called themselves, by the way. It was the non-Christians actually started calling them Christians, and it was kind of a derogatory term at the time. 
the early followers of Christ referred to themselves and referred to this, here's that word again, that movement as the way. Now that sounds like a movement to me. That don't sound like a stagnant religion. They called themselves the way because that's exactly what it was. It was a way of life. It was a way of life that was espoused, that was taught by Jesus. And it's all of this upside-down stuff mentality, again, that flies in the face of our egos. They were committed to it. They lived it. They wanted to become it. So much so that they actually referred to themselves as the way. This was the movement of Christ. So I think y'all get it, okay? <laughs> okay, Pastor, you've, you've convinced us. You, you've convinced us uh, that this is our call and this is our purpose, but how do we become these things? How do we become these things? Um, I want to take a look quickly at our, at, at our scripture for today, uh, just because it backs up and it kind of drives home what I've been talking about thus far this morning and what I talked about last week as well. I think your bulletin um, says it's Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, but I'm actually just going to read uh, 22 through 24. These are some powerful words, and this I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Paul writes, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Why? Because your old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Your old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Think beyond surface-level behavior, folks. Think about ego. Think about pride. Think about self-centeredness. Think about selfishness. All these things that are conditions of our heart. We are corrupted by our deceitful desires. Put off that old self to be made new in the attitude of your minds and your hearts, by the way. The two are intricately connected. There's no separation between the mind and the heart. And to put on the new self. What's the new self? Oh, my gosh. Think about the magnitude of this statement here. Okay? That's why I got it highlighted. That's why I got it italicized. That's why I got it in bold. Put on the new self, which was created for what? To be like God. To be like Jesus. Remember Jesus, God, same character, can't separate them. Created to be like God, like Jesus, in true righteousness and true holiness. Now, there's those, there's those weird words, man, those, those, those weird churchy words about righteousness and holiness. Let me kind of explain those to you as, real quickly. Holiness basically means what it sounds like. It means to be made whole, to be separated from those things that are not of God. Now, I know when I say that, we again want to go back to surface-level behavior and a lot of outward sins that's not what it's talking about. It may be holiness. Holiness may, may be that to a degree. But like so much other stuff, holiness begins on the inside. Think about what I just said. To be made whole, to be separated from the things that are not of God. What are not of God? Selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, ego, hatred. We start talking, thinking about that, we start getting into some, into some serious stuff, right? It's easy. It's, it's easy to, to, uh, to uh, name outward sins. It gets a lot more difficult when we start looking at ourselves and the 
things that drive us through our pride, self-centeredness. So that's what holiness is. Put on holiness, these things that separate us from God. Righteousness kind of means virtuous or just. Again, you know, we tend to think of those terms, holiness, righteousness, as, uh, as external actions, the way people act, the way people behave, you know, what they say, what they do on the outside. But these are internal attributes. They begin with the heart and the mind. Remember what I said a minute ago. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is where discipleship begins, in the heart and in the mind. And this is how we start becoming, this is what we're called to become, disciples. What I want to talk to you today about, about today is how we do that, how we become. And I'm not talking about the way we act. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. I'm actually, I'm talking about an actual, very real, internal change. A shift, you, what you might refer to it as a shift of consciousness away from selfishness and towards Jesus, towards the heart and the mind of Christ. We've got to change what we think. We have to change how we think. We have to be moved internally, not just on the surface. We have to be moved internally from all of these other things that tend to drive us away from ourselves, towards God, towards, uh, towards love for others. We have to be moved towards a real desire to actually be and to actually do these things that Christ has called us to be and to do. And we can't do that by ourselves. We can't do that by ourselves. So that finally brings me <laughs> to the second part of our Methodist DNA that I want to talk to you about uh, this morning. Uh, and it's something that we in the Methodist Church, the Wesleyan movement, we refer to it as the means of grace. Y'all have probably heard me utilize that phrase at some point or another since I've been here. Um, I, I, you know, again, if you, if you don't know, a man named John Wesley is kind of considered to be the founder of the, of the Methodist movement. I don't know if he coined this uh, particular phrase, means of grace, um, or if he got it from somewhere else, but I realize that it is a, it's a strange phrase. It's a strange phrase for us to use in 2023. Um, Wesley lived in the 1750s, and they talked funny back then. So I want to explain to you guys what these are. What, what, what do I mean? What do we mean when we use that term, that phrase, means of grace? Simply put, means of grace is something, a term that we would use, a term that we, were, that we would use to refer to today as spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. So that's what I want, to take, want you guys to take home out of all this today. This is about our spiritual practices. Internal transformation of the heart requires a source that's much bigger than us. Our hearts and our minds are formed, and our hearts and our minds are influenced by so many external factors. What do you mean by that? I mean that our hearts and our minds are influenced and they are formed by our cultures. They are formed by the material that we read, are formed by the television that we watch. They are formed by our social media feeds. They are formed by the movies that we watch. They are formed by the conversations that we have. They are formed by the politics that we follow. They are formed by the friends that we choose. If I didn't mention already, they're formed by the conversations that we have. That list could go on and on and on and on. All of these things, all of these external things that influence how we think, how we feel, 
particularly how we feel about other people, how we feel about God. All of these things are working constantly, except when we're asleep, I guess, constantly to influence and to form us in some way, shape, or form. We are who we are today based on who and what has influenced us the most. Does that make sense? More often than not, what we're taking away from these sources, social media, friends, conversations, whatever, what we're taking away from these sources, what is influencing how we think, what we think, and how we view, and how we treat people, and the world around us, probably reflects very, very little the heart and the mind of Christ. Let's just be honest. There's more vitriol and hatred and meanness out there that's influencing us, for the most part. I'm, I'm, this is just a guess. Then we are being influenced by Christ. Instead of being formed into the image of Jesus, we are being internally formed into the images, into the image of all of those other things that we're taking in, minute by minute, second by second, day by day. What's forming you the most? This is what the means of grace are all about. This is what spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices are all about. Our number one influence, church, should be God, right? Should be, should be Jesus. I think we can all agree to that. So here's what we have to do. In order for God to allow God, in order for God to influence us at all, in order to allow God to influence us, to change us and to transform us from the inside out, we have to engage in activities that give him the opportunity to do so. And that's what spiritual practices are. That's what spiritual disciplines are. That's what the means of grace are. Methods, tools that we have at our disposal, disposal to intentionally allow God to do the work in our minds and our hearts that he already wants to do. Those things, those practices that allow Jesus to be the number one influencer of our hearts and our minds, those things that bring us into alignment with the heart and the mind of Christ. And there's dozens of them, folks. There's, there's dozens of them, if not hundreds, that we have at our disposal. You know, I, I, I realize we talked... We talked about this a little bit last time we met together in our, in our Sunday school class. And, um, in the future, you know, I really want to talk about some of these things with you because I, I feel like, I, actually I was told, <laughs> but I also feel like I've, I've kind of failed in this area in, in teaching this and talking about this. And this, you know, if there's anything that's important about, uh, that I would say is most important about our Christian walk, our Christian growth, it's understanding, you know, spiritual disciplines and engaging in them and having the opportunity to, to, uh, to know how to do them and what they are, that type of thing. Anyway, um, I want to spend some time with you guys in the future teaching about that stuff and, and discussing it in more detail. But for, for today, um, I just want to highlight a few of these things, a few of these practices, a few of these disciplines, a few of these means of grace that you can start doing today if you're not already doing them. The first one and the most obvious one is prayer. Okay, prayer is, what we, is, one, is one of many things that we refer to as a spiritual discipline. Prayer is our direct link to God, and we can, we can, we can do prayer anywhere. You know, if, if you're like me, you might prefer um, a specific set-aside set time to spend with God, and that's okay, but maybe that's, your, not, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you like to pray on the go, and, uh, and that's how you work, and that's okay too. Most important thing is that we actually do spend some time with God. Speak to God 
Also, listen to God. And this is not something that I can teach, folks, because it's something I've had to learn myself. You know, that God, it's like, it's like Scripture says, God, God, for the most part, you know, God's not going to speak to you through a tornado or a, or a fire. God's going to speak to you in what we refer to as that still small voice. And I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about a voice that we hear within our conscience, the voice that we hear within our hearts. And he will speak to you. No doubt about that. It's something you have to learn. We need to, we need to talk a little less to God and at God and, and listen a little more to God. It's something we all need to learn how to do. Um, and not all people think they're good at prayer, by the way. And that's fine. You know, it's, we all have to learn how to pray. Don't be uncomfortable with God. Don't be uncomfortable with your prayer life. If you don't know how to pray, if, if, if praying is foreign to you and you, just, you don't know what to say when you sit down, let me, let me give you a little model to follow. And uh, our members here at Bemis probably remember going through this. We did an entire sermon series on prayer one time. But if you're not good at prayer, you think you're not good at prayer, let, let me give you a little model that you can follow. And you can just, you, all you have to do is remember the word pray. P-R-A-Y. Y'all remember this, Bemis Church? Huh? <laughs> remember that. P-R-A-Y. Okay? First P stands for pause. You want to take some time to get into your prayer time. Pause for a minute. Don't be praying on, you know, understand and, and, and just sit with God for just a second before you start talking to Him or talking at Him. Enjoy that time entering into that prayer time. R stands for rejoice or reflect. You know, these are, the, these are our times of worship during prayer. These are the times where we thank God. We offer thanks and, and gratitude. For whatever, whatever it is that's going on in our life, that we want to give thanks and gratitude for God. Uh, we, we might want to spend this time uh, reflecting on a psalm, by the way. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that some other time as well. But, but, but uh, the psalms are a wonderful way to, uh, to, to utilize during the prayer time. A stands for ask. Self-explanatory. These are the times we start asking God for things, whether it's asking for ourselves or, or, or practicing inter, what we call intercessory prayer, praying for others. And, uh, and the, the Y stands for yield. And again, that's another time for basically just pausing. That, that, that's our listening time. You know, we quit talking. We talking at quit talking at God and start taking a few minutes to try to actually listen to Him. And again, He will. He will. Uh, he, he'll talk to you. He'll lead you. Uh, so that's just a simple model that you can follow. P R A Y. Pause. Reflect. Rejoice. Ask. And yield. Uh, that you can. That you. And it doesn't have to be in any particular order or anything like that. Uh, but, it's, but it's a good starting point, and it's, it's a model that I continue to use, actually. Uh, the second most obvious means of grace, or the second most obvious spiritual practice that we can talk about, is uh, something that Wesley called searching the scriptures. Another unnecessarily word, weird term for read your Bible. That's what it's there for. It's not there just, just to give us information. What we're doing on Wednesday nights in our, in our, in our adult Bible study, that's, kind of, that's basically an informational study. We're learning to pick scripture apart. We're learning. We're learning to. Uh, we're learn. We're learning to uh, understand that, that scripture is written as poetry. It's written as narrative. It's written as biography. There's all kind of stuff going on in there. We're gonna. We're learning to uh, under, understand cultural aspects and, and influ, influencers uh, of the writers at that time. Those are for. That's for informational and interpretive pur uh, purposes. And that's a good thing. I'm talking about a more meditative style of scripture reading during your prayer time. And I'm not going to go into... We, we actually did this at one time. We, we did this as an exercise. Y'all may or may not remember that as well. But I'm talking about a more meditative type of uh, scripture reading. Um, 
That's what it's there for. You know, not just to give us information, but to actually allow God's Spirit to work through those passages to affect that real change, that real transformation in our minds and in our hearts. Don't try to figure the Bible all out. I know it's confusing. I know it's complicated. I'm not talking about trying to make sense of every word in the Bible and everything that's going on. I'm talking about utilizing it as a connection to God, to the Spirit Himself. And He will utilize that Scripture to form, to transform you. I guarantee it. Approach your Bible time as a, as a, as a time of prayer. Ask God to speak to you through the words that you're about to take in. Take time to read it. It's not a race. You're not in a competition. Take time to read what you're reading in the Bible. Read it slowly. Don't try to take in a whole wealth of information in one sitting. Take in a, take in a small portion of Scripture. Soak in all of those words. Remember, the Spirit is literally with you at the time. That's one of the reasons that we have that Scripture, is to allow Him to work through it, to transform us, to transform our mind and our hearts. Soak those words in. Talk to God as you're reading through the passages. Again, listen for the Spirit. Prayer. Reading your Bible. Another practice that, uh, that, that Wesley emphasized as a means of grace, as a spiritual practice, is something that you're already doing. Right now. Attending communal worship together. Yeah, that's a spiritual practice. You guys intentionally made a decision this morning, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, you made an intentional decision this morning to engage in the spiritual practice of worshiping with your brothers and sisters. Just you being here, simply being here, or simply watching online, you are engaging in a means of grace that God is going to utilize, that God will utilize to influence your heart, to influence your mind. Again, it's not a social gathering, folks. There's a social aspect to it, but at the end of it, it's about worship and it's about being in the presence of God and letting God do the work in us that God wants to do in us. Listen for the voice of God speaking to you through the songs that we sing, through the words that we recite, through the scriptures that we read, hopefully through the message that you hear. Take it all in. That's what it's here for. This is a, you, you are engaging right now in a spiritual practice that is going to form you to some degree or another, and that's good. You know, that's just a small handful of, of the practices. I mean, a very tiny portion uh, of the practices, of the tools that God's provided for us that allows us to uh, connect with him and, uh, and give him that room. Give him that. That's what it's about. Giving God the room, giving God the space to continue to transform our hearts and our minds into the minds and the hearts of Christ. Here's a few more that I'm going to name for you. Fasting. Receiving communion. Yeah, we believe that we believe that that's a spiritual practice. We believe that God is, Christ is truly present with us when we receive Holy Communion. And He utilizes that time to influence us. Participating in Bible study, participating in small groups, setting aside time with God uh, to just be with Him. Silence, solitude, uh, service to others. There's another spiritual practice we don't talk about, but that's one of the reasons we do so much of that here at Bemis. Serving others getting to know others, exercising compassion and mercy with others. Those are, that's, those are spiritual practices. Confession is another wonderful spiritual practice. Now, now we don't have formal confession like they do in the, in, in the Catholic Church. What I'm talking about is find somebody that you are comfortable enough with. Find somebody, if it's just one person, that you trust wholeheartedly 
to share every fiber, every fiber, every 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 everything in every recess of in the deepest recesses of your soul with somebody you're comfortable sharing your shortcomings with, your sins with, all of those things. Practice the art of confession because I'm going to tell you on the other side of confession, it's freedom. You're feeling guilty because something you did. Find somebody to confess that stuff to. Find out and see how you feel afterwards. God uses confession to exert, to exert healing in our lives, spiritual healing. Practice what, I, what is sometimes referred to as examination of conscience. Sometimes you guys will hear me refer to that, to that as taking a spiritual inventory. A wonderful time to do that is, is at the end of the day prior to going to bed. Think back throughout your day. Uh, how did I interact with people? Where could I have done better? Where did I do very well? Where did I, where did I, where did I, where did I maybe fail or stumble a little bit? And where did I do excellent? Where did I treat people kindly? Practice that and, and rehash that. that that's, a, that's another wonderful one to practice. Y'all, there are, again, probably hundreds of practices that we can engage in. Not every practice fits everybody. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. But find the practices that work for you and engage in them. Be disciplined. We're disciplined enough to scroll through Facebook for three hours at a time. Surely we can be disciplined enough to spend 20 minutes with God at some point during the day. What do you think is influencing us the most? Folks, everything that we talked about today is, uh, is what you'll oftentimes hear me refer to as spiritual formation. You know, it's all about being formed into the image of Jesus Christ for the love of God, for the sake of other people. Uh, these are the methods. There's a reason we're called Methodists, by the way. These are the methods that we have at our disposal by which God uses to form us in, um, internally. Uh, we're actually talking about this on our if, if we ever get back, which I assume we will be back next week. Uh, but we're talking about this on our in our Sunday morning adult small group is, is the idea of spiritual formation. We're talking about what it is, and um, all of these practices will, will probably I think that we've got we've got a number of uh, very specific practices that we'll go through and um, use as examples and, and probably do some instruction. You know, I'd, that's my biggest encouragement, y'all. This is this is some, this this is my biggest passion, right here. You know, is 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 talking about spiritual formation and and engaging engaging in spiritual disciplines, that and discipleship. You know, which which are basically two sides of the same coin. You know, discipleship is is what we're called to do: following Christ, emulating Christ. The other side of the coin is spiritual formation. How do we go about doing it? How do we go about becoming those things? So that's what we're getting at today. Discipleship, spiritual formation, means of grace, spiritual disciplines. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, God, for uh, all that you grace us with. We don't, we don't even know where to start. God, I, for myself, I would pray, and for, my, for this congregation here, I would pray, God, that you would give us all uh, the desire, the desire, God, to let go of our egos, to let go of our self-seeking, our selfishness, our self-centeredness, and, God, that we would truly have within us a desire to change, God, that we would be honest enough to be able to face uh, uh, where we do fall short and to admit that, uh, to admit that to you and, and, to, uh, and to turn away from that, uh, that we might embrace the love, the mercy, the grace of, of Christ, Lord, and that you might transform our minds and our hearts. I pray, God, for the mental, the emotional, and the physical discipline to engage with you in whatever form is suited for me, for us, God, that we might, by your grace, be able to grow in
into that image of Christ that you call us to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.